When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you want a chance to go to the most appealing game in town? Dr. Pepper is giving away four tickets to the games at Huntington Park on May 24th, 25th, or 26th. If that isn't sweet enough, the lucky winners will be invited to the Pepsi Party Deck to view the games with free food and beverages. The time is ripe to enter. For your chance to win, visit a Kroger near you or drpepperbaseball.com. That's drpepperbaseball.com and fill out the entry form. Don't miss your chance to take your bunch to a game. Enter today. The road to Wembley has just got a bit shorter. Hello and welcome to episode 27, yes 27, of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on on the pitch. It's the FA Cup over the past few days. But in addition to that, there's also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye. And they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. Joining me tonight is the return of my good friend, Anthony Kendrick. Anthony, it's been a while since we last spoke, but how have you been? Yeah, I've been very good. Uh, much happier since uh, Mourinho's left. I'm sure that'll be mentioned later on. But yeah, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Very good. Yeah, blimey, it'll be like night and day, won't it? After sort of the, uh, your moods in the earlier episodes, earlier in the season. But yes, I'm sure it'll be a, a much brighter pro- a proposition. But yes, we'll certainly talk about all that later in the show. And I also had out a debut cap to Matt Sharples. Now, Matt's a Bolton fan. We're going to have a good chat about them later. But Matt, before we dive into all of that, how are things with you? Very well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good to be involved. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on, mate. So um, before we sort of chat all things football, I best do some social media bits first. Otherwise, we'll be talking to the abyss once more. First, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter at Dan Tracy Anything show related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. While the easiest way to find all the links is by going to RealFootballCast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's a new game that sees betting turned on its head, with the focus being on the loser. Now, if this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there is a new prize pool which guarantees a winner £1,000, something you will not want to miss out on. The odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And we'll start with some FA Cup chat. So first up, let's look at the fifth round draw. Now, Anthony, as a United fan... What's your take on being paired with Chelsea? You know, that's obviously one of, well, probably the toughest tie you could have had, Bar City. Are you confident it's a competition you can actually go on and win now this season? Well, yeah, I don't see any reason why not. Admittedly, I'd have rather got, you know, a, a League Two team or something, or, well, Wimbledon or someone like that. But, but yeah, um, there's no reason why we can't win it. I mean, everyone's on the same page as City, uh, Chelsea. Well, we're the only three big teams left, I suppose, as Liverpool, Arsenal and Spurs are all out. Um, you know, we went to Arsenal and people thought we might come unstuck there and, and we won. So, yeah, it, it's probably our best chance of winning a trophy and, and Solskjaer seems determined to, to go for it. So, yeah, well, why not win it? OK, and while you're there, we're sort of talking United in the Cup. Do you want to give us a quick take on how you thought 
They played on Friday. What did you think of Lukaku being played out wide? No, not his usual role. Alexis through the middle. Is that something that sort of displays that you have now got options in this sort of final third of the season? I think so. And I think it's, it's, it's sort of flexible thinking. I mean, and it, it's the whole positivity that's been generated. I mean, if, if Lukaku had played on the right wing under Mourinho, it would have been a completely different spin that he's been shunted out to the right, that, um, you know, that he's been played out of position and all that. But it, the, the, there's so many options in attack. You know, Lukaku, Sancho's back, um, Martial and Rashford. Uh, I know Mata's playing tonight and, you know, it, it just all those options we can go as far as we want and I think I think there's just so much positivity and our attacking play is is so much better than it was before and it, you can you can probably hear from the tone of my voice I'm so much happier about it <laughs> look yeah like I said I mean if we played back an episode from earlier in the season it was very very dull wasn't it very glum and it was really a case of you almost felt that Mourinho should have gone but you weren't really confident he would it was sort of like a case of just a, a process of oh just get through this season who knows what might happen but you know they cut the apron strings December and let's be honest you've been much better for it not you personally well maybe but the club in itself my mental health is a lot better and <laughs> I've not sworn tonight so yeah it's, it's it's good no I'm 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 really happy and I think I think you know you just look at Old Trafford and it's such a different atmosphere I mean I, I live just up the road from it but there's there's people there every day just a general day-to-day -day, you know not even on a match day there's there's so many people milling about and that and it's 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 incredible how much the atmosphere's changed you know the fans are much louder I mean I went a few times earlier in the season and and it was it was it was appalling the atmosphere it was almost like when Moyes was there and you know he was at the end of his tether there um yeah, it, it's it's amazing how much things have changed, and and that that all comes down to the manager, not just his decisions on the pitch, but generally, you know, I, I watch most of his press conferences, and he's just he just says the right answers, and he's got the positive attitude, and he doesn't slate any other players, and you know, he, he he loves the club. Matthew, is it fair to say then that United players almost <laughs> down tools in the last sort of days of Mourinho? You know, we all sort of say that footballers are professional, but there's professional and you know winning stuff and there's professional and not really caring and trying to get a manager out the door so obviously that change in um, mood and performances has been brought in by Solskjaer but it, does some of that have to be sort of down to the players not really caring in those last few weeks under Mourinho? Absolutely I think um, obviously the form that they're showing of late is kind of testament of what a poor job Mourinho was doing um, it was pretty clear he wasn't getting the best out of a very very talented bunch of players you look at Rashford coming into his own, obviously Lukaku hasn't been playing, but on Friday night I thought it was excellent. Um, who knows if Sanchez will find the form that kind of his wage and his price tag, you know, deserve, if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I think it's obvious they weren't playing for him. I think Pogba is a prime example of that. It's player power at the end of the day, isn't it? But um, a new manager's come in and, and they do seem like the Man United of old. Um you know, back in the day under Sir Alex Ferguson, you would you would hate to play them. They were so feared. Um, you know, going to Old Trafford was was you know the toughest fixture of the season. Whereas under Mourinho, let's be honest, you're in with a chance up against the Mourinho team because they were just so poor going forward. They were inconsistent. You know, they had a, they had a mistake in them. And fair play to Ali Gunnar Solskjaer because he's he's not put a foot wrong. And uh, yeah, good on him. Okay, if we sort of go back to sort of the general FA Cup overview from the weekend. And Matthew, I'll stay with you for this one. Um, Anthony, you're more than welcome to sort of add in on this one as well. But what is interesting, we get to the fifth round, that's 16 teams, bar the sort of replays that are undecided, but 16 teams will be at that stage. 
And when we get mm. there, just seven of them will be from the Premier League. So we've got more teams outside the Premier League in that round than actually in the Premier League. So is that a sign that the Premier League teams are, I don't know, I don't know if throwing the competition is the, the best term, but not yeah. taking it as their main priority? Or at the same time, are we doing the lesser clubs a disservice because they've obviously, you know, they've got to win these matches as well. So what's your take yeah. on the, the health of the FA Cup at the moment? Unfortunately, I think it's the former point that you raised. Um, I, I don't think that the big Premier League clubs are taking it seriously or as seriously as they should. Um, I saw an interesting quote from Roy Hodgson prior to the Palace Spurs game. And he said that, you know, um, an FA Cup run would be great. Um, you know, to get to a semi-final or even a final would be fantastic. But if you offered me a Premier League survival, I know which I'd rather take it. It'd be Premier League survival. Ironically, they go and beat Spurs, um, and then they're in with the real chance of, of getting to a quarter-final because I think they I think they've been drawn against Doncaster Rovers, um, which is obviously winnable for Palace. But you know, good on the lesser teams because they've, like you said, they've still got to go out and and perform and and play well and and, and get up for a cup tie. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting because it, I think it's massively up for grabs. Obviously, one of Manchester United and Chelsea are going to be going out the next round. Um, that leaves City, uh, and you know, as you enter a, you know, a semi-final, final, even quarter-final, anything can happen. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. I think. I mean, Anthony. Sorry, yeah. Please feel free to add something to that if you've got an opinion. Yeah, I have actually. I think I think um, I think it's a bit simplistic to say some of the clubs haven't taken it seriously. I mean, if you group the Premier League into sort of three tiers, you've got the big six, and I think you know United and City are going to take it seriously. And Chelsea, I mean, Liverpool through it. Uh, Arsenal came up against a tough tie, and Spurs. Well, they've got their injuries and that. I mean, the middle tier, you know, teams like your West Ham, Leicester, Everton. They all got knocked out, but if you actually look at the lineups they played, they played strong teams and they got knocked out against poor opposition. So I think it's more the players not taking it seriously rather yeah, that's a than fair point, the manager seeing it as a joke. If you, if you actually look at the teams, there's, they're, they're very similar to full strength. I know, I know, uh, Pellegrini in particular was really angry at his team's performance at West Ham, uh, at Wimbledon. Sorry, I should say. And then, you know, the bottom the bottom sort of clubs, you can understand them, you know, a Huddersfield or a Fulham or someone, you can understand them throwing it down a relegation fight. But I think I think the onus is sort of on those teams like a Leicester or West Ham or someone to go and be a surprise winner of the FA Cup because they could do it. It's just I think I think this year, I think they actually tried. It's just the managers tried with strong lineups. It's just players didn't turn up on the day and saw the game as a win. Everton were poor against Millwall as well, you know, it but that was a first team side. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point that, you know, Everton went strong, West Ham went almost as strong as they could do. So I don't think it's the fact that they've the managers have sort of tossed it in the bin and thought we'll leave it. But I think also you need to take into account there have been some all Premier League ties that have knocked out Premier League teams. So that hasn't helped the situation either. So it's not just the black and white of, you know, there's less Premier League teams because of this reason. But I guess another reason, Anthony, when we look at the FA Cup and where it sits in the landscape of English football... I think I read somewhere that the winner of the FA Cup this season gets six point nine million. Now, whether you qualify for the Champions League or you just stay up, you know, the bonanza of money that comes with that is it will dwarf it, won't it? So it's very hard to sort of try and make the FA Cup the top priority when there's so much money swishing about in other competitions, isn't there? Oh, of course it is. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's what a hundred million or ninety million. I think the lowest. I think Burnley got the lowest TV money of any Premier League club, and it was something like ninety million they got. So yeah, when when you look at it from a financial standpoint, there's only one thing. But I think I think it's as I say, it depends if it depends where you are. I mean, um, 
I'm sure we'll talk about Spurs in detail, but you know, you could argue they might want to go for top four or whatever, rather than Liverpool. I completely don't blame them for throwing the game. But yeah, for a bottom club, there's just no way they can take the FA Cup seriously. You know, if you're if you've got a choice, I'm sure any fan would take Premier League survival over an FA Cup semi final. But then, having said that, you ask any Wigan fan. Uh, what they thought of the season where they won the FA Cup and got relegated. I think I think that'll go down in the history books um, to sort of counter my own point there. Well, no, that's, you're absolutely right in that sense. Like, you know, you think to yourself almost, and Matthew, is it a case that the teams in that relegation fodder bracket, say from 14th to 20th, they almost see the FA Cup as a deterrent. The, the games they don't want, and, you know, take into account, say, if they get to a replay, like, it's, it's another game they don't want. So... You know, is yeah. it sort of they can't wait to get out of the competition quick enough and it's OK, well, if we play a fringe team, if we get through, great, but we're not really going to put our eggs in this basket this season. Well, 100%. And I think it's a, I think it's an unwelcome distraction to what's already a very busy kind of Premier League schedule, if you know what I mean. Uh, like like the point I made earlier with Palace. Um, I don't think any manager will come out and say, yes, I'd rather stay up than, than go to an FA Cup final or even win the FA Cup. But you know, what's on offer to be in the Premier League, you know, the financials, the, the TV rights, everything else that comes with it is just massive. And think about, you, you know, the owners and directors of football clubs as well. Selfishly speaking, they're going to want that money in their back pocket rather than an FA Cup final or an, or even an FA Cup victory. Um, so, yeah, I think it's definitely an unwelcome distraction, which, which is a shame. It's unfortunate for sure. I'll start with you, Matthew. So, in terms of the cup, I mean, we all want giant killings, don't we? You know, that's the romance of the cup, yeah. and that's probably what's made it what it is over the last, you know, 100-odd years. But you also mm. want to see the biggest teams at the sharp end of the competition. So, with three of the big six, for use of a better term, already out, we're sort of, and also Chelsea may not meet each other, we're going to probably see, like, one lesser semi-final, so to speak. So, is it yeah. almost a case where you can't really have one without the other? And if you do have giant killings, this is where we're at this season. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think this is just a case of it of it being this season. Look, when when you normally get to kind of the the business end of the FA Cup, you, you're going to see you know in a quarter final maybe six or seven Premier League teams, maybe eight Premier League teams. Um, but yeah, like like I said before, one lesser um, semi final or, or quarter final or a number of lesser teams in the quarter final. I think it's going to be an, an interesting final to work out whoever gets there. And like I said before, it's massively up for grabs for those kind of mid tier. Premier League clubs who are taking it seriously and kind of the Championship and League One clubs should they get there. It's a massive incentive for them to go and create history as Wigan did a couple of years ago, of course. Yeah, because I guess, Anthony, it will at least give some Championship teams, say one or two, you know, the, the chance to actually get to Wembley. I know that's been devalued slightly because, you know, semi-finals played at Wembley every year and Spurs played at Wembley. That sort of mystique has slightly lost its allure, but it would still be good for a lesser team to have a, a big day out, won't it? Oh, it'd be fantastic, yeah. But um, another point as well is there's this new rule for uh, football league clubs where the, whoever gets the furthest in each division gets a 250 grand um, bonus, if you like. Oh, really? You know, payment. Yeah, it's Love a new it. rule for this shit. So whichever league two club gets the furthest gets 250k wow. and league one championship. And I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I think non-league might get one as well. But yeah, so that that's a reason, you know, if you're a Wimbledon, say, it's a reason to think we're going to take the FA Cup seriously. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's a fantastic move. Um, and yeah, and yeah, you know, there's the opportunity for someone like, um, you know, a, a, yeah, a football league club to reach a semi-final. That, that, that's a, a real possibility. And 
you know, apart from United or City, the teams won't be fearing any, or, or Chelsea, should they get through. Sorry, I'm being a bit presumptuous. Uh, they're not, <laughs> not going to fear anyone. That's the only I mean, effect. It is. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think it's good for the cup. I think at some point you would, you'd assume that City will meet one of those two teams. So we get the big tie later on. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good thing. I think, you know, if we see it, even if we see a championship side in the final, I've, I've got no problem with that. I think yeah. it's great. I mean, let's be honest, where we are now, I think if everything goes to form, it's going to be City versus the winner of Chelsea Man United. You know, we, we, the upsets have already, you know, they've almost sort of run out. They've obviously sort of come in a little quick cluster and then we sort of, we are where we are. But, you know, it's, I don't think it's necessarily in bad health, but what might make it sort of on a bit of a dodgy ground going forward is the fact that, from the fifth round onwards, we lose replays, and that's because you know we're in such a tight domestic calendar. So does that, Matthew, point to a slow erosion of the competition? Because we not only lose the romance again, you know that term props up, but it what could also be considered a real lifeblood for smaller teams. Let's take Exeter a couple of years back. They managed to get a home draw against Liverpool, and they actually drew that tie, and then they got a big money spinning replay at Anfield. So are we in danger? You know, if we get to the point where we can't have fourth round replays or third round replays. That's going to be a real uh, bugger for sort of teams from sort of League One and League Two, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And like the point Anthony raised before about you know the the clubs from League Two, League One, um, lower league clubs getting the furthest is a massive incentive. But obviously, the Premier League teams and even Championship teams, you know, in the Championship, you're often playing Saturday, Wednesday, uh, Saturday, Tuesday, sometimes even Friday. So obviously, that kind of schedule will come to the forefront of everyone's mind. But Obviously, like you said, flip that on its head for someone like a like an Exeter or, or a League Two uh, conference team um, to get to get a massive replay at somewhere like Anfield or Trafford, the Emirates. You know that could set them up for two, three, four, five years. You know the, the kind of money that's involved. So yeah, there's kind of positives and negatives on both sides, I guess, which is uh, which is quite interesting, I suppose. And um, I'll ask this one to both of you. I'll start with you, Matthew. Do you think there's really space for two? major domestic cups in England because obviously we have the FA Cup and the League Cup like does the League Cup really serve a purpose now because even that's been sort of chopped down to its most minimum the fact that there's no extra time and that's sort of a, a way to appease Premier League clubs to be in the competition still because it's like at least you won't run the risk of playing 120 minutes in midweek which will knock you out for Saturday so everyone seems to be bending over backwards to the Premier League we've got replays being lost in the FA Cup we've got no need for extra time in the Carabao Cup. So it's sort of like, are we getting to the point where we're not even going to have two cups in England? What do you think? I think there has to be two cup, two cups in England. I, th- I think there simply has to be space for it. You know, the FA Cup is obviously an, an historical kind of institutionalised competition, which is great. We don't want to see that die. But, I mean, as speaking on a selfish note, you know, I've seen my team play in, in one cup final and that was a League Cup. Um and I'll hold that with me for a while. We didn't win it, but we got to the final. It was a fantastic day. We had a brilliant run. And that's something that will stick with a fan for the rest of their lives. Um, so I think the point you raised earlier about, you know, no extra time, that can be seen as a positive. And you could argue that that is actually taking it seriously. Because maybe if if there's no extra time, the bigger clubs might put out stronger teams to get the job done earlier yeah. rather rather than kind of resting players or bringing in youth prospects with the the possibility of keeping your big hitters on the bench should things not be going to plan. 
Um, so I think they both need to be taken seriously and I, I definitely think we need to keep room in the calendar for, for both competitions for sure. Anthony, anything to sort of counter or add to that? What do you take on the League Cup? Is there space for both still? I, I think there is. And when you consider, well, I say, you know, because the League Cup is predominantly played in the first half of the season, the FA Cup for the Premier League teams, the second half, um, I, I think there's definitely space for both. Something, a bit of a radical proposal. I know that the any team competing in the Champions League or Europa League enters the League Cup in a later stage. What if you cut those teams out so any team that's qualified for Europe is ineligible for the next League Cup? Yeah, so you get teams like West Ham or Everton, you know, West Ham, Everton, etc., fighting it out. You know, would that, would that, um, and they're guaranteed a Europa League yeah. spot? That would make teams take the League Cup seriously. Um, I'd, I'd query that maybe as an idea. Do you know, that's a, a good shout actually, because then at, at the moment you get teams qualified for the Europa League who aren't in the big six and then think, oh, well, we can't really compete on the front of the Europa League and the Premier League. So if you took that out of the <clears> equation and said, well, you're not, you can be in Europe, you don't have to deal with the League Cup that season, then they could have a crack at it. So then that would probably benefit yeah. um, England's coefficient in terms of UEFA. But not that it needs to be bothered that much. But um, so yeah, that's not actually the worst shout. I'll forward that through to the the AFL, see what they say, Anthony. Leave that one with me. But um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's all right, Pull mate. A few strings. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a word. <laughs> But um, <laughs> make sure you make it clear it's my idea. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. I wouldn't dare Jean take the credit for it. So um, we 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 all need to be on on this. It needs to be split three ways. That idea. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Matthew's the uh, the first witness, so he gets a cut as well. <laughs> so we're fine. We'll, we'll be flying. I trust you. So if we stay on the wider issues of the FA Cup, I think we've got one more to sort of um talk about. It's VAR. Now, Matthew, did Saturday show a perfect example of it being imbalanced in the competition? Because Mill got the better of Everton, although their second equaliser was handled into the net. There's no doubt about that. Now, if it happened at Goodison yeah. Park, then VAR would have been in place and it would have been ruled out. But because it was at the Den, it wasn't because it's yeah. not set up for championship grounds. Now, surely that can't be right for competition integrity, can it? Absolutely not. It's an absolute farce. I mean, VAR in general, uh, I, I don't think he's good good for the game, but to, to have it at bigger grounds and not kind of championship league one grounds it, it is, is shocking, in my opinion. It really is. Um, I'm sure you've both probably seen the clip of Neil Harris when yes. when the clip came, when the clip came on the big screen and he was like, "Turn it off, turn it off." Um, I think his what, language is a bit more industrial than that, though. But yeah, I don't yeah, know what you mean. I, I'm trying to keep it clean for podcast reasons, obviously. But, Very good. Um, yeah, good thing. <laughs> but, but look, if, if you're going to roll out something radical that that let's be let's be honest, it's going to change our game massively. Um, you need to do it properly or not at all. I mean, in the World Cup, it was there at every game. It worked well. Everyone got on with it. Um, but obviously, the fans who are the, the clubs who suffer from not having VAR, as opposed to the ones who benefit from having VAR, it's a, it's a massive differential. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's either all, all or nothing. And surely, Anthony, you know, we've raised the point that there's less Premier League teams in the competition going into the next round. Surely this could rear its ugly head again because there's going to be a lot of games where VAR's not going to be in place, but it will definitely be in place at Stamford Bridge, for example. So that can't be right, can it? Well, it's only going to be in place in two games, and that's yeah. assuming Brighton qualify, uh, beat West Brom in the replay against Star. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it, it, it could do. But, you know, within that game, it's the same rules for both teams. So, you know, if Everton had scored a handball goal that was given, then then, you know, it still would have counted. It's not like it's one rule for one team, not the other. I, I get what you're saying yeah, about no. competition and it would be nice to have everyone on the same page. But, yeah, um, it, it depends on your opinion of VAR overall. I, I personally am 
are more against VAR than others. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of against it. But in terms of this, I, I don't see it being against the integrity of the competition or anything like that myself. That's fair enough. I mean, I guess that's the only sort of downside when you have a competition which is open to so many teams in so many leagues that you can't... It's either that or you don't let teams in League 1, League 2 into the competition and then that way it would sort of solve, solve the issue. But it's, that's you not going to happen. You force to play away. Yeah, all that, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, that would be a bit too sort of unfair on lesser teams. But I guess that's just... I think that's the only sort of downside of VAR is that um, it's not universal. That was always the danger, I guess, with goal line technology. But you can't really moan against goal line technology because it's so absolute and correct and it, that's been better for the game. Whereas VAR, it's still, you know, is it winning people over? Like, I don't know about you, Matthew. I don't know if you saw Chelsea versus Spurs, the second leg. We had Lamella yeah. go through, um, you know what was onside but in the first leg we had a situation where Harry Kane was was he onside was he offside and the linesman put his flag we kept it down to let VAR play second leg linesman puts his flag up and doesn't let VAR do its job so there's uncertainty there yeah. so what is going on with VAR there's just like you said there's just massive uncertainty and and I think sometimes as a fan watching the game you don't really understand how it's all going to play out and I think the rules and kind of the, the wherefores of how it's actually going to happen need to be a lot clearer. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of instances where, you know, VAR should be used for for the reality side of it. So is it is it over the line? Is it a goal? Is it an offside? Something that isn't a matter of opinion, such as a foul or a yellow card or a red card. So there's still there's still massive question marks over it, and I think it's something that needs to be addressed. Like I mentioned before, with it being all or nothing, I think if it's going to be used, then fine, but it needs to be used the same way with the same rules in every single game, because otherwise it, it, we're just not going to get anywhere with it. I mean, Anthony, next season it's in the Premier League, so whether we like it or not, it's here. How many teething issues are we going to see these sort of first few weeks? I know it's sort of crystal ball time, but... Are there yeah. going to be situations where no one really knows what's going on from a fan's point of view? Like, say it happens at Anfield, there's no screen, is there? So we saw it in the FA Cup last year. No one knew what was going on. So and that's sort of something you can rectify by just whacking up a big screen because this is not something to do at Anfield. So, you know, it, things like this, they don't really fill you with confidence. I know it's sort of World Cup showed it can be used in the right way. Maybe it's English refs aren't getting it right. What's what is the issue with VAR for you? Um, I think I think well you've you've said what exactly what I was going to say. I think the screens. I mean, I was at Old Trafford um, in the oh, yes. earlier round of the FA Cup, uh, where um, where the penalty was given. We, well, we thought uh, we thought Matter had scored a perfectly good goal. It was then ruled out for offside, but a penalty was given in another incident. But the fan, there was no screen there, so the fans had no idea what was going on. And there's not screens at several Premier League clubs, so. I, th I think if you have VAR, you've got to force all these clubs to put screens in. I mean, United have done it in the past, for example, for the Olympics. I know they did it. They put up some temporary ones and other times. But I, th I, th I think you have to let the fans in the stadium have a clear idea of what's going on. I think they'd be more accepting. You know, if a, if a red card gets given against their player because VAR said so after the ref didn't give one, I think fans would be more accepting if they can see, oh, yeah, that was a horrific two-footed challenge or whatever. Um, I, I can't see how you can have VAR and not have screens, personally. Yeah, I think that needs to be the sort of the minimum standard because otherwise we're going to be none the wiser. But we could talk about VAR all evening. Let's not because I don't want people switching off. So let's talk about <laughs> Matthew's team, Bolton. They were dumped out of the cup by Bristol City on Friday, the same night that United got the better of Arsenal. 
but that's not sort of why we're going to, going to talk about Bolton. That's not really the real concern. They're lying second bottom of the championship at the moment, three points from safety. And while we're recording, they're in a real six-pointer against Reading, who are a spot above them. So, Matthew, just what is going on at Bolton? I don't even know what the stadium's called anymore. It sort of changes sponsor names all the time. So <laughs> forgive me for not doing my research there. But it's not just this season. It seems to be over the past few years. You're almost in a state of managed decline. I, do, I dare say unmanaged decline. Like, what is going on there at the moment? I think it's just been a, a an accumulation of, of lots of different things. I mean, it's been mismanaged at, at the very top for for a number of years since we got relegated from the Premier League in 2011. Um, it's the age-old tale of, 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 of championship clubs paying huge wages for championship players. And that's when the decline starts. Um, obviously, Eddie Davis, uh, may he rest in peace. Obviously, he's um, he bankrolled the club for, for a long, long time wrote off in excess of £180 million worth of debt. And and since then, it's it, it's just been an absolute farce, if, if, if I'm being completely honest. Um, the club was taken over by a consortium led by uh, ex-Wanderers striker Dean Holdsworth a couple of years ago. He and Ken Anderson uh, took the took the um, took the club on jointly. Um, it came to fruition that kind of Dean Holdsworth didn't have the money to kind of put into the club. Um, and then Mr. Anderson obviously assumed full control. Um, when you've had more winding up petitions than home wins in a season, then there's obviously real problems. <laughs> um, and I think when it gets to the stage where on the field results are the least important issue, you know that there's something genuinely wrong. I mean, you mentioned a six-pointer there. It is a six-pointer, but it should be a lot more than that. Um, people aren't thinking about that. All people are thinking about is, you know, what happens the next time players aren't played on t- uh, players aren't paid on time. What happens the next time they go on strike? Um, it, it sounds a little bit dramatic, but you know, we've even spoke about will there even be a club to support next season? Because, you know, liquidation has been mentioned. Obviously, I know a lot has to happen for that, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a real worry at the moment. It's a real worrying time to be a Wanderers fan, and uh, until new investment comes on board then um, we, we don't really see a way out of it, unfortunately. Anthony, I know, you know, from an outsider's point looking in, you've always got a keen eye on the Football League and all things Championship. So what's your take on Bolton? I mean, are they too big a club to go to the wall? I know sort of that's a very rarity these days because there always seems to be someone else who can come in and sort of try and revive a club's fortunes. But like uh, Matthew says, when it's more winding up orders than home wins, you have to sort of think, well, is it really worth me putting my money in? So, um you know, will they stay up? Is that just a case of sort of bracing themselves for the impact of relegation to League One, like Sunderland did? But with Sunderland, you get the feeling they're well versed to sort of go straight back up and have a crack at it. But with Bolton, you do sort of think, oh, hang on, like if they go down again, like it might be a bit of an iffy situation. So, what do you make of all things happening there? I, I don't think Bolton will fold or anything like that. Even if it's like uh, you know, it's like a Portsmouth or something where they end up going right down and and rebuilding. I, I, I don't think they'll completely fold. They've got such a strong fan base, and you know they're a, a historic club with you know there's a lot of history there, and you know they're well supported. So I don't think that I don't think they'll go into you know fold or anything like that. But I do think they'll get relegated. Um, they don't look good enough uh, compared to some of the other teams around them. Um, I can I, I think that. <laughs> if if, um, we, we, if we will absolutely go down for sure. If if they get relegated though, I, I don't think I think it might be good for them in a strange way because you look at like Wigan as well. Uh, Wigan they came straight back up after getting relegated. They rebuilt and did well. So and 
that 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 was the best thing for them. And now we're going to do in much better in the championship than they were. Um, I'm I'm just gutted they didn't get relegated last season because Burton could have stayed up then. Uh, I'd have preferred that to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, I I think I think Bolton will go down. and I think it'll be good for them in the long run. Yeah, I guess sometimes you need that, don't you? You know, don't want to wish relegation on any sort of club, but bar Arsenal, that's not going to happen, is it? But um, <laughs> yeah, I think mean, sometimes you know, if we take Sunderland as an example, if you watch the Netflix documentary, you just sort of saw the fact their house was nowhere near in order, and I think sometimes you just need someone else to come in, and whether it takes you know two years, five years, even Portsmouth, another great example, you know, they're sort of on the up and up now, but they were right at the sort of bottom of the football league ladder at sort of some point, so. Sometimes mm. you do need to take that backward steps or steps to sort of then go back up the ladder. So, but as you say, you can only have so much mismanagement before you sort of have to think, well, how yeah. far can we keep just, going? Because sometimes, the, yeah, keep on, going. On the, sorry, sorry to jump in. Just on the flip side of that, I mean, we've already been relegated once to League One under the current kind of management structure. Um, we came straight back up at the first attempt. We went up second to Sheffield United, um, but obviously. You know this financial problem and these financial walls always seem to rear their ugly heads. Um, and whether we get relegated or, or, or we don't, I, I think you know even in League One, these financial problems are, st- are still going to be affecting us. Um, hopefully, Mister um, Anderson will will reduce his price, and we will get some genuine investment on board. Whether that be in League One, Championship, League Two, like Anthony said, you know sometimes it's better to just cut your losses and start again. But you know, until there's someone back in the club who has its best and genuine interests at heart, then um, I only think that when that happens, you know, we'll, we'll gradually start to come back. The whole, yeah. whole, uh, the whole Christian Christian Deutsch situation as well is a bit ridiculous. I mean, they, they signed oh. him in the summer on loan with a with an agreement to buy him in January, which hasn't happened because they can't get the finances. And now he's kind of in limbo and uh, he's been recalled, hasn't he? And all, all the all the Bolton fans I saw uh, when they weren't playing, uh, they went down to Forest Green uh, as a bit of a yeah, protest. Yeah. I thought I thought that was quite funny what they did. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, Dale, Dale Vince, you know, took matters into his own hands, didn't he? And uh, produced a T-shirt that said "No Can Do," <laughs> yeah, um, I which I thought was, <laughs> I thought was quite amusing. But, but yeah, I mean, on a serious note, you know, you're messing with people's lives. Um, you know, it's come out since that that Wanderers weren't even paying his wages. His, his parent club were paying his wages. So, um, bearing in mind that he's he's meant to be joining the club on loan. A similar, a similar thing happened with Remy Matthews, who we had on loan from Norwich. We have signed him again permanently since, but you know there was talk of his, you know, his missus buying a house over here and leaving a job. And yeah, I mean, it, forget forget what happens on the pitch. You know, you you've got to start treating people better. You know, you're messing with people's lives at the end of the day. So yeah, well, I hope all things pan out well in the end. It might be a very long road, but um, you know, there will be some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully. So. Let's um, move back to the soap opera, which is the Premier League. Anthony, I've got a tale of two quotes here. First up, my boss, Pochettino. He says, most important thing is being consistently in the top four. Your boss, Solskjaer, says, we've got the Champions League, FA Cup. We can't just say top four and that's it. So then, Anthony, who's got the better mentality here? Um, <laughs> They've both got the right mentality for their situations they're currently in. Solskjaer is in charge for six months and... He's right. He, you know, we're, we're Man United. We shouldn't just be saying, oh, we'll finish third and that's it. And that's a good season. We should be thinking, you know, we're going to win every game. And that, that's the mentality he's gone in with. And we've won every game. So, yeah, for, for United, we've got to be saying, um, 
you know, yeah, the top four isn't be all and end all. We, we we should be focusing on every game. We've got a good enough squad, especially in attack, to to you know win the FA Cup and finish in the top four. Tottenham's squad, um, you know, especially in attack with the with Son and Kane and all that, um, isn't as strong. And I completely accept in Tottenham's position that finishing the top four would be considered a good season. That, that might come across a bit arrogant, me as United as a big club and Tottenham as a small club. That might I don't want it to come across that way. But if if Tottenham, you know, as they have gone out of both cup competitions this week, if they if they end up finishing in fourth place, that's still a very good season considering Tottenham. Yeah, I think you're right, all things considered. I think I was chatting about Tottenham yesterday in the sense that it is very apparent that our main priority on Sunday was the Premier League. Like It was no good playing a full strength, well, I say full strength, but the strongest possible team that we could against Palace, and then it might have a knock-on effect for Watford tomorrow. And if we lose against Watford, well, we could have lost to Palace, played a strong team, lost to Watford, and think, oh, why did we go so strong against Palace? So... It's all about momentum. If that momentum halts in terms of the league, then we are sort of done for. So I don't think it's one that's necessarily happy. Uh, sorry, it's made Tottenham fans happy because you've gone out of the cup and then the manager's going, well, it's not even that important. Get 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 over it, basically, in not so many words. Um, so, yeah, I think there's it's not black and white. I don't think it's this mentality is better than the other. I think it's all about how you sort of fed it into the sort of nature and the... Uh, I guess the sort of stature and where that club is at the moment. So where clubs are going to be at the moment and where they are at the end of the season is a different question, Anthony. And I say this because I've got vested interest as a Spurs fan. And as you know, you're a United fan. So I'm more than happy for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to stay as United manager. Firstly, do you think he will? Or do you think you'll get Pochettino? What do you think is going to happen in the managerial landscape? Well, I, 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 I read a bit of Sky Sports, and according to that, Pochettino's nailed on. So, oh. yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, um, I think I think if if Solskjaer continues to do well, and I see no reason why he won't, um, they, they can't not pick him for the job. I mean, it was it's a bit like Gareth Southgate when he was England manager, or um, or Di Matteo when he won the Champions That's League it. with Chelsea. Yeah. Both of them made excellent, you know, did an excellent job. And if they do, if Solskjaer does that, then how can he not get picked? I mean, if they pick someone else and he he loses a couple of games, people will look back and say we should have gone for Solskjaer. I mean, uh, he he can't. He must get the job if if it continues. There's no way he can't. So yeah, I, and I'd be very happy for that. I mean, he's he's done nothing wrong, and he's he's um yeah, he, he's completely changed the mentality of the team. I think I think Mike Phelan coming back's made a difference as well, and you know the coaches all seem a lot more uh, together. There seems to be a lot more togetherness with the staff. So yeah, I'm I'm perfectly happy for you guys to keep Pochettino uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. Having said that, before Solskjaer took over, Pochettino would have been my number one pick. Yeah, do you know what? I think this run has come at just the right time because the rumor mill was just it was almost on fire, wasn't it? It was just getting silly. Like it had almost been announced without him even moving. So just the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's won eight matches, it's just taken the sort of heat out of that that rumour. But from a sort of neutral point of view, Matthew, what's uh, your take on all things United? Like Anthony makes a great point about Roberto Di Matteo. And mm-hmm. obviously he galvanised the Chelsea squad, which was at a low ebb. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done something quite similar. Now, whether he goes and wins the Champions League, you never know, do you? And he might do that. And then obviously you can't not give him the job. But as we saw with Di Matteo, he almost sort of did a great thing, but then stayed on too long. It's almost as if once you've galvanised the team and had that success, it's very hard to then start a new season when you're not galvanising. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of will some yeah, yeah. perhaps outstays, not outstays welcome, but end up staying on too long. But as Anthony says, you can't not give him the job 
after that success. So it's quite a difficult one for them to sort of uh, make a decision on, isn't it? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, and I think the United job is is kind of a, a slightly different a slightly different task to the one that Di Matteo had. I know they were both kind of, I know, I know Chelsea were kind of uh, on a bit of a, on a bit of a bad run when he took over. And like you said, he, he galvanised them, you know, ex-player, fan favourite, etc, etc. And that's the exact same with Solskjaer. But I think Solskjaer has been very clever in the media as well, because he's, I think he's doing his best to get fans fully on board. Mm-hmm. You know, his comments about, you know, we're Man United, we have to attack, we have to win every game. Um, we have to play attacking football. That is the Man United ethos, um, and that's kind of the Man United way. Uh, we have to promote youth, you know. We, you know, which he's doing. You, all of a sudden, you've seen him getting the best out of Rashford. Um, so, you know, like like Anthony said, you know, how long does it go on if, if he continues winning games? United and Ed Woodward are going to have a, a genuinely serious decision to make because how can you not give? Bearing in mind where United were, you know, just before the turn of the year, let's say, you know, at Christmas time, that they looked a shadow of their former selves, like genuinely, like like the point I mentioned before, they used to be so feared. Whereas now, you you, you don't want to play them, you don't want to get drawn against them because that you know they're on fire. Um, so how long does that go on? I mean, if he gets to the last stages of the Champions League, if he gets to the FA Cup final. If he manages to, if he manages to drag them into into the top four from a genuinely footballing decision, it's one of those funny ones where how can you not give him the job? Um, I think the point you made before um, about Pochettino, I think again, like Anthony said, he he fits the Man United mould perfectly. If you just t- if you just park the Solskjaer um, situation and, and concentrate on him, you know, he's a youngish manager. He can adapt. They play good football. Um, he has a very good reputation with bringing youth prospects through, and and that that's what United want. But you know, Pochettino or Solskjaer, it, it's going to be a massive decision. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. I mean, Anthony, let's be honest, and please be honest. Did you honestly see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer winning eight games in a row? Has this been a very happy accident? Uh, okay, maybe that's a bit of an unfair term, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's almost it's been as as good as it could possibly be, and that sort of changed everything, really, hasn't it? Because say he takes the job, and United are sort of still six, and they get five out of eight wins, and you're sort of then asking the pops question. This has just gone bigger than your wildest dreams, really, hasn't it? Well, look, yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, nobody, yeah, nobody predicted this, but I mean, when he took over, right? I, I, I made the same point as I said about you know if he does well, how can they not give him the job? I, I, I said that earlier on. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it has gone beyond our wildest dreams. But I did think from the start that Solskjaer would have a chance of getting it if he did well. And I think I think all you know, I think it was kind of an irrelevance who came in. It was just a sort of a happy face and a, a guy who actually works with the players. I mean, it, it just shows how appalling Mourinho was there and how much. Well, I, I didn't want Mourinho from the start. I mean, it just shows how poorly he's done at United. Really, how quickly things have turned around. But yeah, I, I always thought Solskjaer had the chance to get the job full time, uh, despite you know them saying it was only till the end of the season. I don't think the one thing I would say is I don't think there's any point in United making a decision until the summer. There's no, there's no value in saying Solskjaer's got the job now. You may as well wait until the summer. Either way, yes or no, or someone else, whatever. Yeah, there's no point till the summer for me. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, why make an announcement in March because then you might lose seven matches in a row. You just don't know, do you? So it's better just to hedge your bet slightly. But if we go to, to Chelsea now, and they finally got their man in 
Gonzalo Higuain. But, Matthew, is he the right man for the Blues? Because former manager Rud Hullet doesn't seem to think so. So I guess the question here is, will he join the long list of failed forwards at Stamford Bridge? Because for every Drogba, there's been a Torres, a Shevchenko, a Kesman. <laughs> do you know what I mean? There's been a lot of big-name strikers that have gone there and really flattered to deceive. So, obviously, it's very too early to make those kind of conclusions. But how do you think he'll fit in in West London? I think it'll certainly take him time to adapt, but I think the issue that Chelsea and Chelsea football, Chelsea fans have is that, you know, he doesn't really have that much time to adapt. Um, obviously, he's never played in the Premier League before. He's come from Italian football, which is a obviously a completely different ball game. But on on the on the flip side to that is, you know, he's um, he's he's going to take him time to get up get up with the pace of the league. Um, you know, it's a it's a completely different to to how it was over in Italy. Um, and a lot of people are saying he's coming into the twilight of his career. I think he's just turned 30. Is it 31? 31. Um, so, obviously, you know, if they loan until the end of the season, I believe they'll have an option to buy him. You know, are you going to want to spend big money on someone that's coming to, to 32 years old? Um, or would they go for, for, for someone much younger and kind of a kind of a five, six, seven year plan. So um, obviously, like you said, it, it, impossible to think what is going to happen. But if I had to hedge my bets, I, I, I do think he'll be another Torres. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think he'll have enough time to adapt to the league. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, do you know what? I think you're right, Thomas, mate. I think you make an excellent point that he just hasn't got time to bed in. You know, Chelsea needed a striker two weeks ago. Do you know what I mean? Like they really just... Need to yeah, throw, him yeah. in, throw him in and see what he can do. And there's no doubt he's a good striker, but you think at 31, you know, you're in the sort of the twilight of your career. Anthony, do you think yeah. it's the right move for Chelsea? I mean, they almost they had to get a striker because Morata's flopped and he's gone as well now. And Giroud can be useful as a sort of big <clears> man off the bench. So they obviously they had to sort of twist their arm and sort of see what they could find. Is he going to put up any trees? Can he sort of make sure they get over the line in the top four? Or will a certain Manchester United pit them to that post? <laughs> I, I can't see Chelsea finishing the top four and I think Higuain's the wrong option I think he's more of a Falcao or a, a Shevchenko oh, yeah. that's another failure good shout <laughs> Um, I think I think he's that sort of player rather than you know a pacey or, or a physical sort of striker I think uh, yeah I'm, 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 I'm not sure he was the right player to bring in but he's, he's got history under Sarri uh, so he, he might prove me wrong but I, I can't see it myself I think it was more of a, a sort of panic needing a, a decent striker in um, I, I, I don't think Giroud's done a lot wrong I think I think he's quite a handy striker um, whether whether somebody like Pacey or, you know like a an Aubameyang sort of player would have been more beneficial to them up front with, with the sort of system they play. Or, uh, I mean, Dries Mertens had his good run under Sarri, didn't he, at Napoli? Uh, that sort of striker who likes to get wide and in behind and that. And he, that, that's the sort of striker they should have gone in for. Um, even Batshuayi, I don't know what's happened well, to yeah, him. Exactly. I know. Uh, well, he, he, he's the sort of... That, that's the sort of player I would have looked at, but... I don't know. Maybe in his wisdom, he thinks he thinks Higuain can play that role. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's what 15 games of the season if we consider like the midweek ones that we're sort of talking over now. So Matthew, would 10 goals be a good return? I know everyone's sort of obsessed with stats. You can't necessarily say it's all about stats and goals this season. But if we're looking at sort of a par for Higuain, does he need to be at least getting sort of double figures or very close to double figures to be considered some form of success in this last part of the season? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, with 15 games to go, I 
think it's obvious he's going to be starting every Premier League game and um, obviously Hazard's played through the middle, hasn't he? And I think what Chelsea fans seem to be very kind of wary of is whoever they do bring in and whoever does lead the line for them, how are they going to kind of complement Hazard? Because Hazard's been very um, complimentary of Giroud in the past, hasn't he? That, you know, he, he linked up well with him and brought him into play. And um, yeah, I think double figures there or thereabouts is an absolute must. Um, but then again, you know, even if he gets double figures, you know, there's there's no saying that he's gonna he's gonna go big again in another Premier League season. And and how many more games are you gonna? How many more goals are you gonna get out of him if if he plays for plays a full season coming into the age of kind of 32, 33? So yeah, I'd, it's gonna be interesting to see how it how it pans out. But um, but but yeah, like Anthony said, I, I think as a che- if I was a Chelsea fan, I'd, I'd have much preferred them to to kind of push the boat out a little bit more. Look across Europe to see, you know, who's performing and, and who's going to fit in a little bit better. Yeah, do you know, it's a very good point actually because it's all very well getting, you know, let's say it does get to double figures, but if you extrapolate that over a full season, you can't really see him getting 19, 20 goals in the Premier League next season. So you think like, yeah, it might be something, you know, it might be a short-term gap that works for them, but I just don't really see it as the right move. You know, we can talk up his connection with Sorry, but the Premier League is a much different beast. Syria, so we'll see how it does pan out. But well, another, sorry, Anthony, as you were, yeah, I have to say about Chelsea, there were some stats about how poor the uh, young players and how much opportunity they get. Uh, I think they've got the oldest average age of players um, who've played this season as well um, in terms of minutes. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think it's more of wanting an experienced player because because of how chop and change the owner is I mean if, if I don't know from Sari's point of view to look at it another way if you said you you know you've got six months you you need to pin your hopes on a striker for the next six months you'd pick someone you've worked with before who you'd be reasonably confident I know you could say he's getting on but for the next six months he you know you'd be more inclined to pin your hopes on that than some you know a 23 year old in Europe or whatever yeah that's true that's why Harry Redknapp always signed Peter Crouch I guess but if we stay, if we stay in Chelsea, and um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, he might be going to the Allianz Arena, not on a sort of trip. You know, he might be moving to Bayern Munich in the next couple of days. So whether that deal happens or not, he's not the only one who's in that sort of pipeline of Premier League academy to German superstar in the matter of months. So, I mean, what do you make, Matthew, of German clubs reaping the benefits? Do Premier League clubs only have themselves to blame? I mean, when you consider that the league game between Arsenal and Chelsea didn't have one English player in either starting eleven, So, you know, they moan about the loss of talent, you know, draining away to Germany. But surely, if they're good enough, they've got to play, haven't they? If, they, if they're good enough, they've got to play. It's as simple as that. You know, Jadon Sancho, Reese Nelson's another one. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I think. I saw his interview after the Chelsea game on uh, <laughs> at, at the weekend. And, you know, he was asked the question, have you spoken to Bayern Munich? And his answer was, I can't say. So... Essentially, what that means is yes, I've spoken to them, um, but but yeah, I, I think I think English clubs have only got themselves to blame. I think in Hudson Adai's case, it seems that Chelsea, it's all very much too little, too late. Kind of, you know, if he was bled into the team last year, or if he was given more of a chance this season, then you know, would the talk of Bayern Munich even be happening? Um, but you know, footballers are selfish and, and good on them. You know, look at Sancho. Where would he have been now? He'd have probably been farmed out on loan somewhere um, if he hadn't have taken the risk and gone over to, to Germany. So fair play to all of these these young lads that are going out there trying to make a name for themselves. But um, ultimately, the onus is on is on English Premier League clubs to do a little bit more to harness that talent and get the best out of them. 
Anthony, I'll ask you, well, here's a sort of question from a different direction. So German clubs are getting the best of English young talent and English clubs are getting the best of young German managerial talent. So there's <laughs> three former Borussia Dortmund reserve team bosses that have now landed in England. One of them's gone, David Wagner's sort of off, but you've got Daniel Falker and Jan Sievert, who's now back at, well, he's gone to Huddersfield. So we've almost got a talent trade. Players going one direction to Germany, managers coming to these shores. So... Is it worrying from an English coach's point of view that you've got four English top flight managers and two of those are over 70? So we've got a situation where English players aren't being tested at the highest level, you know, because they hit a bottleneck at the top of their academies. And we've also got a problem with English coaches. So that can't be good overall for the English future of the game. Because obviously we look at the World Cup and, you know, the Nation League final and that's all, you know, well and good. But there's got to be like week in, week out to go with it as well, hasn't there? Yeah, um, I think I think English coaches it's it's so expensive all the licenses and things and there's not enough um there's not enough grassroots football. The FA is not well funded. Um sorry, no the FA is well funded, but it's not using its funding to get enough coaches. I mean, you know, even championship jobs now, you've got someone like Bielsa or you know, Santo going in at Leeds and uh, Wolves respectively. Uh I I think half the championship's probably foreign managers now as well and you know, it, it's it's the short-term thinking of Premier League clubs to say, you know, we'd rather pin our hopes on on a foreign coach who's done all right than a young English coach. I think the fact that a, a Dortmund reserve team coach has got the job at Huddersfield over a, over you know someone who's managed a Premier League team or at least managed a football league team is quite worrying. I, th- I think that's really worrying and is a sad indictment of where we are are now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with top foreign coaches coming in. I do, you know, like like Bielsa and the others, and you know, all the top Premier League cl- clubs. I don't have a problem with that, but I do have a problem with something like that. And it's 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 um, yeah, it, it worries me really. Uh, I mean, there's there's clubs doing well in the uh, in football league. I mean, the new Stoke manager um, who's coming from Luton, he he could do well. Um, I hope he I hope he gets an opportunity to coach in the Premier League. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, Matthew, that if these young coaches, they do somehow get a team out of the championship, they're under so much pressure. I think Eddie Howe's obviously bucked the trend, but it's almost a case of you've got us out of the championship, you're not having a good Premier League season, what have you done for me lately? Nothing. And then you're off, and then we sort of start the cycle over again, don't we? Yeah, it's it's kind of a vicious circle, isn't it, of, of coaches, you know, making a name for themselves. And, and how many times have you seen it where, you know, like like the point you just mentioned there, where, where a young, you know, British coach or English coach, whatever, gets gets a side up from the Championship into the Premier League. Um, it, you know, it's, it's rare that, that that club sticks with them should things go wrong. I mean, Sean Dyche is a perfect example where, you know, he's got Burnley into the Premier League. Um, he's then taken them down, but Burnley have stuck with him. Um, a season later, he's he's took them straight back up again. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, it's uh, it's it's certainly a worry. Like Anthony said, that you know, someone from from another country, you know, managing a reserve a reserve team is is getting the job over young English talent. It's uh, like you said, it's definitely a worry for the English game for sure. I mean, has that appointment? I mean, I, I don't know if you look at it as. It's certainly interesting. I mean, do Huddersfield have to be commended that they haven't just gone down the usual safety route of Moyes, Hughes, Pulis, Allardyce, you know I mean, one of those names. But mm. should they not be looking at, I don't know, are they sort of perhaps bracing themselves for relegation and thinking, well, you know, there's no point getting in a big name because he's going to still want a lot of money. If we can get someone yeah. a little cheaper, 
brace ourselves for relegation and then see what he does in the championship next season. Is that their mindset, do you reckon? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, a case of, you know, what what is he going to do different? You know, what is he going to bring to us that we already know that, you know, a Mark Hughes, Sam Allardyce is, is going to bring in? Um, ironically, he's kind of in the same mould as David Wagner, who's just been sacked. Um, you know, young foreign coach with lots of different ideas, wants to play nice football, gets on the front foot. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's a difficult one. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose they should be commended for, for kind of pushing the boat out and doing something different if it works. Um, and, and if it does work, then then good on them. But I think you're probably right. I think they are bracing themselves for relegation. I think they're really up against it this season, for sure. Um, I think they've been up against it from the start, to be honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, if he does take them down, you know, let's see if, if, they, if they stick with him and, and see where it goes. And final question for the night, Anthony, to you. Will we ever see a Premier League season where there's no English managers? Crystal ball time. But are we getting that way where, you know, Hodgson and Warlock can't go forever? You know, 70 plus and all that. So are we getting to that doomsday scenario? Um, it will, yeah. At some point, it will. that will be the case, yeah. Um, I, I, can't, I can't really add to that, really. No, I no, yeah, said, at no, some point it's, it's getting fewer and fewer. Yeah, it is. We'll we'll see very few English players as well, and it? it's disappointing. But but that's the way it is. What a sad note to end the podcast on. <laughs> <laughs> I was so cheery to start. Yeah, no, just taking it all out of you, haven't I? But um, yeah, I need to wrap things up. Not just because of that depressing note for English football. Yes, we've killed it stone dead, but we're hitting the the hour mark. So I need to just do a bit of admin and thank the guests. Matthew, an absolutely cracking debut performance. I hope you'd like to join me sometime between now and the end of the season. You're more than welcome to come back on. Absolutely, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, mate. I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. And Anthony, as always, again, a pleasure and an open invite to you also. Thank you. Very kind. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I enjoy coming on the show and yeah, and speaking to you, and it's it's a great a great podcast. I must say, if if that's a good advert for you, um, you know, I listen to the episodes. I'm not on as well, and I do I enjoy it. Thanks very much, mate, Anthony. I do appreciate your kind feedback. I might have that as a tagline for this week's episode. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, but yeah, like I say, you two more than welcome. You said just that fifty quid, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that and the idea about um, European teams qualified who aren't in the League Cup. I've got it all written down. It's absolutely fine. So, on that note. I best wrap things up and I just need to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.